This film is lit. The podcast where we finally settle the score on one simple question. Is the book really better than the movie? I'm Brian, and I have a film degree, so I watch the movie, but don't read the book. And I'm Katie. I have an English degree, so I do things the right way and read the book before we watch the movie. So prepare to be wowed by our expertise and charm as we dissect all of your favorite film adaptations and decide if the silver screen or the written word did it better. So turn it up, settle in, and get ready for spoilers, because this film is lit. Neither love nor tear makes one blind. Indifference makes one blind. It's If Beale Street Could Talk, and this film is lit. Hello and welcome back to This Film is Lit, the podcast where we talk about movies that are based on books. We're in the middle of our Twilight Summer series, but that's not what we're doing today. We're talking about a 2018 film directed by Barry Jenkins, written and directed, adapted from the film by james baldwin it's if beale street could talk katie i believe we have all of our segments except for lost in adaptation i believe that's correct cool so we're gonna just jump right into it with our first segment let me sum up let me explain no there is too much let me sum up so what i have gathered from us watching the film is that the book and the movie are very similar yes so we'll just do one let me sum up mm-hmm. if you haven't seen it. So spoilers abound if you have not watched. If Beale Street Could Talk, you can. Uh, if you missed our preview episode, you can pause right now. You can go watch it on Hulu if you have it. Uh, it's included in your Hulu subscription. Um, but if not, that's fine. Uh, you can also rent it at a bunch of different places. But here's a little brief uh, you know, synopsis in case you didn't get a chance to watch it. The movie, the story takes place in the... It's like 70s, 70s, yeah. 70s, I believe. Yeah. In the 70s in Harlem in New York, uh, we have two main characters, Fonny and Tish, uh, and they're young lovers. Um, and the, so the narrative in the in the movie, and we're going to get into how this it's presented in the book versus the movie, if it's different, if it's the same. Um, but we jump around a lot timeline-wise, but the overall story is that uh, Tish and Fonny have been best friends since they were little kids. Uh, They are now 19 and 22, respectively. So they are adults, and uh, they start to fall in love. And this story that we uh, we are we are audience to in their life is is the moment where Fani is accused of shortly after they get together and find an apartment together and and are like starting their lives together. uh, Fani is accused of raping a woman. Um, across town uh, and then is caught and arrested by a cop who he had a run-in and encounter with earlier in the film uh, at a grocery store um, and this cop does not seem to like him uh, but he's arrested after this woman identified and then so he's arrested uh, as he's seen by this cop and then the woman who was the victim identifies him in a police lineup as the attacker uh, and now he's going to be on trial for this thing, which he did not do. Uh, and there's a, it's briefly explained in the movie that he it was literally physically impossible for him to be, like, again, on the other side of New York City, almost from where he was uh, in the time frame where he was supposed to be because he was with uh, Tish and his friend, who I cannot remember the name of, Daniel. Daniel. 
So he was with them when this was supposed to have happened, so he couldn't have gotten to the other place in time. Uh, so he's wrongly imprisoned, and then this the story is the the exp- or the the attempt by his family uh, to clear his name, basically to, to to build a defense for him to get him out of jail because we find out very shortly into him being uh, behind bars that Tish is expecting and they're going to be having a child together. So Tish and her family are working their hardest to find a cooperating evidence to uh, vindicate, maybe mm-hmm. vindicate him uh, and basically win the win the suit so that he can get not the suit, win the case so that he can be released uh, and they can begin their lives together. Um, spoilers that does not happen, uh, and he ends up taking a plea deal and has to spend much of his child's uh, young life in prison. We actually don't find out how long. Uh, we may have talk about that later, how long the plea deal is for. That's not presented in the movie. Uh, the child is, I don't know, three or four when they... I would say a little older Maybe than a little older than end. that when yeah. when we see him at the end and we don't know how close Fani is to getting out at that point. So he's been in for at least, you know, five years or so, and we don't know how much longer he has on his sentence left. Uh, and it's a heartbreaking sta- uh, tale of racial injustice in the justice system among other things is that mostly that's mostly mostly it, yeah. i mean obviously there's lots of other stuff we're gonna get into all the details and that sort of stuff as we get to it but that's kind of the overarching plot of the story mm-hmm. and it's the same in the book so there you go we do have guess who this week who are you no one of consequence i must know. get used to disappointment okay all right we have four this week so fire up your brain it's not functioning at 100 percent right now i'm gonna try (laughs) she started to put on a little weight her hair is turning gray but only way down at the nape of her neck and in the very center of her hair so she's gray visibly only if she bows her head or turns her back and god knows she doesn't often do either well i would assume that that i mean she sounds like a very self-possessed woman, um, older or getting older. Uh, I would assume that that, and I, I'm gonna, I don't remember all the names of the secondary characters very well, but the, I would say that that is uh, Tish's mom. Yes, that is Tish's mom. Her name is Sharon. Sharon. I don't know if they kept that detail of the gray hair in the film. It didn't seem, but like I don't it. know if I we ever saw it, the back but... of her head very much yeah. either. So. She was wearing gray slacks and an old blouse, and her hair was untidy on her head, and she wore no makeup. Uh, I have no gray slacks and an old blouse, no makeup. Oh, oh, um, okay. No, I know who that is. Uh, that's Victoria. Maybe I would say that's Victoria. No. No? Mm-mm. That's okay. Then I have no idea. Victoria is the 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 victim who uh, picked Fanny out of the lineup. Mm-hmm. Um, she's the only one I can think of that wears like an old blouse and doesn't have. Make- I don't know who else that would have. Who's it? Who? Um, that's Ernestine, Tisha's sister. Oh, okay. She wears very colorful pants in the movie, so yeah. that doesn't that didn't track <laughs> for me at all because <laughs> she has like pla- almost plaid like. I don't know, at least in most of the scenes that we see her, she's mm-hmm. wearing very brightly colored pants and, and is wearing makeup, I feel like. But maybe not. Yeah. It's hard to tell. 
but there's a lot of um there's a lot of fun like period costume yeah in this movie yeah the costumes are great they had a lot of fun clearly doing the 70s uh the uh tish's dad at one point when they're running their hustles Mm-hmm. He's got like the the fedora tipped, and yeah. he's got like the big <laughs> coat, and he looks so cool. <laughs> he looks way too cool. <laughs> he had no part in his hair now; it was heavy all over his head. He was wearing an old black and red lumber jacket, and old gray corduroy pants. His heavy shoes were scuffed, and he smelled of fatigue. Well, the lumber jacket, I don't even know what a lumber jacket is, but I, I mean, Fani works with wood in the film. Uh, he's in the woodworking, uh, and the rest of that description could vaguely fit that. Um, it could also potentially be, because it seems like a, like a laborer's outfit, and I don't know exactly what Tish's dad does, but he does some sort of something. He seems very blue-collar mm-hmm. job of some sort. So those would be my two... Because uh, that doesn't fit Fonny's dad. His dad is more like dapper. Mm-hmm. He's got kind of a, I don't know, he has like a he has more dapper, stylish yeah. clothes. Um, so I'm going to say that that's Fonny. It is Fonny. Okay. Do you know what a lumberjack it is? I do not. Okay, <laughs> cool. I was <laughs> making sure I wasn't the only one who didn't know what a lumberjack it was. I mean, I... I, I would assume it maybe... Um... Looks something like a like the the what came to my mind right away was like a Carhartt jacket like that type of yeah like heavier. That's kind of what I thought too. Yeah, okay. So that and he I guess he does wear something because there is like this is what I was thinking of, and that is probably what mm-hmm. like the ones where it's like plaid and it's some of them have like leather on the outside. Other ones are just like plaid. You like a lumberjack jacket? Yeah. So I guess that's the lumber jacket. I guess that makes sense. <laughs> they just took out one of the jacks when yeah. they named it. Yeah. We'll just smush those together. Yeah. Um, yeah. That is still a very fashionable piece of clothing. Yes. So. Um, and Tish's dad, by the way, uh, works on the docks. So okay. he is, you were right, he is like a blue collar yeah. worker. Yeah. All right, last one. She was dressed in something which looked very stylish until you looked at it. It was brown, it was shiny. It made one think of satin, and she was wearing a kind of scoop hat, an upside-down coal shuttle, which hardened her hard brow. She was wearing heels. She was gaining weight. She was fighting it, not successfully. Uh, well, then that's that's definitely. Um, you know, she's not wearing brown in the movie. She's only in one scene, but I would say that that's Bonnie's mom. Yeah. 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 She's she in the in the movie. She's wearing like a white. I don't know, but she is dressed much more. Um, there's a, a very much a clash in sort of personality, uh, not even only personality, but just like Tish's family uh, presents much more working class mm-hmm. than Fonny's family does, even though Fonny's family isn't like wealthy. Yeah, Fonny's family is also working class. Yeah, but that is that is like one of the characteristics of his mom and his sisters yeah. in the book is that they're like way more concerned with like appearances. appearances and yeah. And it comes across in the movie. Too, yeah, definitely. Well, so, yeah. All right. That's it for guess who uh, we're going to get into. What's that in the book? Nicholas Flamel is the only known maker of the philosopher's stone. The what? Honestly, don't you two read? First one, and it's not a major aspect of the... Well, it is a major aspect of the film. That's not true. Fani is really into woodworking in the film. 
Um, but specifically like sculpting with wood and like creating like art with wood as opposed to like he's not like making cabinets or you know he's not like really into like making super fancy he does talk about that like he likes working with wood in general but the thing he seems most passionate about in the movie uh is is more of like sculpture with wood like art installations with wood and stone i believe he says um is that a character aspect of fani in the book yes it is okay so directly translated Mm -hmm. he made and like sculptures and everything yeah he makes sculptures out of like scrap wood interesting it's a very specific i don't know i it was very fascinating because it at first like when we're introduced to him in the movie he's a he's going to like a vocational school Mm -hmm. uh, and he quits pretty quickly um but he's like learning to make like normal you know yeah like furniture and stuff um but then he he just he ends up sort of realizing that his passion lies in a much more abstract artistic expression and it's it's really I don't know. It's something about it was it was just a a very unique character quirk that not character quirk, but like I don't know if I've ever seen a character in anything who was a, like into sculpting wood. I, like it was mm-hmm. such a very unique not only like to have an artistic obviously having like a character having an artistic pursuit isn't like strange or unique but like specifically sculpting it's not like he's a painter (laughs) or like you know what i mean sculpting wood is so distinct yeah it is kind of a distinct unique like type of art to have him pursue like i mean you're right the more common thing would be like oh he's a painter or he's a musician he's a writer or or even just is a woodworker but like makes you know Mm -hmm. like really fancy like furniture or something Yeah. yeah it's just it is but it does it goes it, it's one of those things it's one of those character traits that flies in the face of his uh of his family and his upbringing yeah um, and that that sort of oppositional that um friction between them mm-hmm. is between his mom particularly his mom and his sisters is that they you can you can imagine from the one scene we see them in in the movie that they don't much approve of him making abstract wood sculptures like yeah. doesn't seem like the kind of thing that they're like very would be very supportive of so and it's also it's unique and kind of flies in the face of like the way that black men and black boys are often written and they're not often afforded the chance to be like sensitive artist types yes or, or in if real they are, life and in media yeah or if they are it is generally you know a music like a jazz yeah. musician or something. Yeah. like that's sort of the stereotypical yes for sure uh is is the way you would it would often be presented in in movies and that sort of thing. But yeah, I, I just thought it was really sort of unique. Um, and the one, in particular, the one sculpture he gives Fani's mom was really cool, or Tish's mom was really cool mm-hmm. at the like beginning of the movie. But Yeah, the one where it's kind of like a swoopy. Yeah. We don't see it very close. Yeah, up, it, well, to me, it almost looked like a, at, from a, from far away and from an angle, it kind of looked, and then maybe this is intentional, but to me, it almost looked like a baby wop wrapped in swaddling. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if that was an intentional, like, sort of, you know, allusion to future events. <laughs> you know, he's giving her this this thing or whatever. Um, but that's kind of what it looked like to me from, from the side view where we see it early in the film. Okay, uh, so speaking of Fani's family, uh, in particular his mom, in the film his mom's a nightmare person. <laughs> uh, just the worst. Her, her and her sisters, or her daughters. Uh, they when they show up after Tish realizes she's pregnant, she tells uh, 
Fani, and then she tells her parents, and then they call over Fani's family to have her tell them. Uh, and this is controversial because they're not married, um, because they weren't able to get married before Fani went to jail, um, among other reasons. Fani's mom reacts very poorly to this news, loses her mind. But but even before that, she's we're, we we you very quickly realize that she's again just from her initial uh, her outfit, her costume, not costume, costume of the in the film but her character's uh outfit and that sort of thing and the way she carries herself that she's a very judgmental person and she talks immediately jumps into sort of like she's talking trash about how Fani didn't uh study enough when he was a kid and this sort of thing and you immediately dislike her um in the film uh is is her character and she's also very religious it's like the, her main character trait is that she's incredibly religious and that's what causes the big blow up between them is that she she curses um Tish and Fani's child because they had this baby out of wedlock and it's sinful and lustful and blah 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 all these things and is she the same overly judgmental overly religious uh zealot in the book yes okay <laughs> oh yes the movie nails her and the two sisters. Yeah. They're awful. Yes. Just like immediately walk in, like looking down their noses uh-huh. and just the absolute worst would never want to interact with this type of person. No, no, absolutely not. Um, and it, and it does start, it, it immediately sort of kicks off because I was not expecting religion to be such a major theme in this film. Mm-hmm. And, uh, from what I have sounds like also, it is also in the book, mm-hmm. uh, a big component of it. And it does immediately sort of kick off this, uh, the theme, uh, of a, uh, of, uh, that Baldwin very clearly is very judgmental, not judgmental is not the right word, critical of religion, um, and the effect that it has on people or can have on people mm-hmm. um and in particular and that's expressed through and, and i read that quote during the uh prequel and it actually applies here really well and he had that and i gotta try to remember it now but it was something along the lines of um i don't have room for god except for as far if god makes you more bigger uh, more loving and more some, more free <laughs> i think or uh-huh. something like that um that's the only use I have for God is so far as it makes you bigger, freer and, and more loving apart from that. Uh, if it doesn't, if God can't do that, get rid of him or something like was, I'm butchering it horribly, but it was a lot, it was very eloquently put and I just brutalized it, but it was something along those lines. And I feel like that's really personified in Fani's mom's character because her religion pushes her to an extreme of, of, absolutely you know the opposite of all those things she is a a, um uh she's she's it it does the opposite of set her free she 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 constantly judges everything in her life in relation to her religion and her religious beliefs and she judges everybody else in relation to that and that leads to her being incredibly callous and 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 just unloving of other people mm-hmm. um who don't meet up meet her standards of her essentially impossible standards to some extent of what she sees as um what her faith calls for and it's uh it, it, that theme continues throughout the movie but that first scene is very powerful and it's a it's a crazy scene and we're gonna talk about it a little more but 
including this particular line, which is my next question, which I want to ask. Uh, so there, things blow up in this scene after they t- like it's Fonny's mom starts yelling at Tish and again like cursing her and cursing the baby and everybody gets very upset. Um, and then uh, Fonny's dad hits Fonny's mom um, and knocks her down to the floor and everybody's like freaking out. Obviously, um, it's a big scene uh, and. <laughs> It's, I mean, it's a horrifying scene in general because she's being awful. Obviously, hitting her isn't the right call. Like, and that you you understand it to some extent because she's being awful, but also it's like, no. Um, but there is this line. It, I couldn't help but you know, this this line uh, got to me is that um, somebody one of the daughters says something about her heart problems or yeah, something like she that. Has, she has heart issues. She has heart issues. And, or and maybe send, might even say something along the lines of like you you you'll you'd stopped her heart or something like that. And he says, "I think you'll find it's still pumping, but I wouldn't call it no heart." And then like storms out. <laughs> it's like, good lord, you guys should probably get divorced. This is not a healthy <laughs> relationship um, at all. Is that line in the book? Yes, it is. Good lord, does that whole scene play out like that in the book? Yes. Wow, that's. That's very early in the movie. It's in like the first twenty minutes, probably mm-hmm. maybe first thirty minutes for sure. And it's it's a jaw dropping scene. There's just so much going on, and it's there's like so many. Yeah, there's there's so much going on. So there's many so layers many, to it. So many levels, and just the speed with which they like snap back and forth at each other yeah. is incredible. But it still feels real. Yeah, and like sometimes in scenes like that. It can go too fast, and yeah. it feels like actors. Yeah, for sure. But, but that never, was not the case here. No, no, I, I never felt that way. The, this movie is, and I mean, we'll get to it. You'll, I'm sure you'll get to it in your final verdict. But I, I mean, I did, oftentimes in the beginning, I'll kind of do like a little short review, and I, I was blown away. I thought this movie was brilliant, like absolutely just astonishing. Uh, and we'll talk about it more. But I, I was everything about it was just super, super good. Uh, and the, and the craftsmanship of this particular scene because it's very hard to do. I could I can imagine it would be very hard to do and to get right to where the sympathies are are like as a, as an audience member, your sympathies are pretty much specifically with Tish and her family, but also fluctuate sometimes to Fonny's dad. Like Fonny's dad's such an interesting character and like a, mm-hmm. a, a a complicated character because he's not a great person, but also is at t- yeah. like, he's just a nuanced complex. I mean, they're all, you know, fairly layered people. Uh, the next part I should have included this with that question is that I, it's one of those moments that also in that same scene that was really, <laughs> It's one of those things where it's like, you don't know these characters enough to know. I, I, I mean, I did to know whose side I was on, but I also, it, we, we had just met them and it was so heated so quickly. But as they're leaving, um, the two, uh, the two sister, Fonny's sisters are like bickering with, uh, Tish's sister and stuff. And Tish's sister just like lays the smack, the verbal smack down on them as yeah. they leave. And it's great. Um, and I just want to know if that was in the book. Yeah, it is. Okay. Now, Tish's sister, um, sometimes they call her Ernestine and sometimes they call her Sis Yeah. in the book. I can't remember that they ever actually called her Sis in the movie. They may. They yeah, might have. They may have. Um, but anyway, she, she was- disappears after the first half, I feel like. Yeah, she's not in the second half of the movie very much. No. 
Um, and which is kind of similar for the book. Yeah. But well, she she's was. Not as yeah. She's she, in a couple she, scenes. But. She was like my favorite character. Oh, she's great early in, in the movie, story. Yeah. She does not give a fuck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can tell that very quickly in the movie. Yeah. That scene in particular. It's. And it was like this big big sister energy <laughs> yeah and i'm always here for that because i'm a big sister yeah 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 i i thought it was fantastic so in the movie as i mentioned during let me sum up is that it, it is not in a um, linear structure we follow the story as it sort of jumps around it's basically kind of from what i could tell running in two separate lines and we kind of jump back and forth a little bit mm-hmm. um between like Pre- previous like back in time when they like were first getting together and finding an apartment and and the lead up to when um Fonny was accused and then the current time where he's in jail and um she finds out she's pregnant and tells mm-hmm. them and then they're working on the case for him and we kind of jump back and forth between yeah. those two timelines roughly i'm sure there's some other but those, so it's not linear in that regard uh is the structure in the book similar to the movie Yes, it is. Um, yeah, so you're right. The movie is basically following like two yeah, kind of timelines. Kind of what it seems like. We yeah. have like the present yeah. where he's in in jail. in jail and she's pregnant, and then we have like this um, past storyline that kind of slowly reveals the events that led up to him being in jail. Him yeah. being in jail. The book, I would say, is even a bit more nonlinear than the movie is. Um, some of the events of the, like, past storyline are told more out of order than they are in the movie, um, as well as the book also occasionally dips, like, even further into the past to when they're kids. The movie has, like, one scene. The movie has, like, one brief scene where they're, like, splashing in the bathtub together. Yeah, it goes to it a couple times. Yeah. Yeah, but there's, like, a couple specific like interactions when they're kids in the book interesting yeah and i don't know for sure it's kind of hard to tell times i don't know how often i don't know if this if the if the the pre like the the past storyline follows like every time we go back if it follows in straight narrative order or if it jumps around a little bit as well i think it jumps around a little bit as well a little bit a little bit because there's moments where we see stuff like like I feel like the interaction with the cop happens before or after the moment where they find the apartment, but that's I can't remember. But I, I felt like in my head as I was watching it, it felt like that that wasn't a perfectly linear, like but like just two linear stru- narratives. It felt like both of them had some scenes out of order, but it's possible they didn't. I've only seen it once. Yeah. So. Um, but it, but it, but that clearly was taken from the book. Just maybe the book did even more of that mm-hmm. than the movie. Okay. Uh, does Tish get a job at the perfume counter at the local whatever store, uh, Sears, Roebuck, <laughs> or whatever? <laughs> yeah, it's like the department store. Yeah, the local department store. Um, uh, does she get that job? Yes. Okay. And then my second question, follow up. There's this scene in the movie uh, where she's talking about when customers come in and who who the kind of customers she sees when she's working because she talks about how she was hired in this department store that's pretty much all white people she's like the only person of color working in the store mm-hmm. um and then and like it was like a she says i'm sure the store thought it was very progressive to have a a black girl work in the counter or something like that 
And so she's kind of like a token, you know, yeah. in this store. And she talks about how her interactions with different customers. And she goes, you know, very rarely do black men come in again because it's like a very fancy and they're, you know, it's the 70s in New York. Um, so but she talks about how when when black men come in and want to smell the perfume, they she sprays it on their hand and they mm-hmm. smell their own hand or something like that. And then but when a white man comes in and wants to smell it, he just takes her hand and holds it up to her face and the way she describes it is you know i don't know the right word for it um gross gross well very gr- <laughs> yes obviously gross but very uh visceral and like yes yeah. gr- that uh, gross because it's so like yeah visceral and 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 violating mm-hmm. um and obviously you know it's this obious like uh, um exploration yeah, of the, the the that exploration of how they take her agency yes away from her and, and even in like a fairly small way yeah. in that moment yeah it's kind of it's almost essentially like it's funny because that's almost essentially like that you could show that like scene is like microaggressions like yeah. that's maybe it's a little bigger than micro but you know what i mean like if somebody doesn't understand what like weird racial microaggressions are like that scene can like explain you know what i mean like you could just show that like two minute long scene but yeah the the obvious um feeling of ownership over her yeah you know and, and just disregard for her agency and that sort of thing from the white customers that come in and and on top of that because there, you know there i think there's also an exploration there of because she mentions you know they i'm sure they thought it was very progressive hiring a black girl to work the counter there's also like this fetish, fetish, I cannot say this word. Neither can Fetishization. I. Fetishization. There's so many sizzishes in there that it becomes impossible. Fetishization of um, like people of color and that sort of thing yeah. by white people. And uh, yeah, it, that whole, that scene was fascinating and horrifying in the film, um, but really well done. Is that, that particular, does that come directly from the book? Yes. That description of those. Almost word for word. Yeah. Pulled I had a right feeling. from the book. I had a feeling. Whew. This it's an intense movie without like a whole lot happening. Yeah. I mean there's obviously there's some big intense scenes, like the blow up like but like like the big fight in the beginning with uh Tish and Fani's family is intense, but like obviously, because it's mm-hmm. like this big dramatic you know fight and people are hitting each other and screaming and and yeah there's some intense scenes like that but it's not like a boom 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 something's happening every second but that's like the biggest moment of that there's also like the encounter with the policeman later but and then like the moment with victoria and the mom later that are all upsetting but even between that just those are all while those are upsetting they're like obviously like intense and like Mm -hmm. uh, um affecting but the moments that are much smaller than that at throughout the film, just like this perfume counter scene, yeah, it's are very... also incredibly intense without anything happening. You yeah. know what I mean? It's a very subtle kind of intense and upsetting. Yeah. As opposed to like everyone's at each other's throats right. kind of yeah. intense and upsetting. Yeah, and I think it's just it's I again I everything about this movie kind of blew me away, but uh which I was expecting that to be the case, but it's so good. Is this is a thing that this was one that I thought for sure felt like it could have been a movie ad. This felt like a thing that a, a movie narrative would do to sort of set up 
the later events. So that eventually, when Fani is arrested, uh, the cop that arrests him, we're introduced, and I, a, a officer something I can't remember his name, Officer Naharis. Oh, God, <laughs> you said that, and I didn't even believe you. The police. If you have seen this movie, the police officer um, in this movie is played by uh, Ed Screen. I believe is how you pronounce his name, who played Dar- Dario Naharis, Dario Naharis, however you pronounce his name, uh, in Game of Thrones, but he was the first one. Yeah, the like, original. For, the, for, the, for like three episodes. Dario and then, Naharis. And then he disappeared, and then that other guy replaced yeah. him when he came back. But that first one, that that is this cop. And he looks nothing, doesn't yeah. even look like. I mean, you can kind of see it in like the chin a little bit, but... In general, very, yeah, he doesn't, you know, because he's such um, a huge beefcake and whatever. I want to say his name is Officer Bell. I think you're right. I think it is Officer Bell. So Officer Bell is the one who ultimately arrests Fani um, as he sees him running or doing yeah. something. Um, they never show us that scene. We don't see that in the movie. They just talk about it, like when he gets arrested. Yeah, We see him, like, briefly in the back of a cop car. Yes, but we don't see, we don't like, see the events the, yeah. that led up to that. We don't see him get arrested. No. So we don't know what he was doing. I think they mentioned him running. I don't know. It, I, it was a, a little hard to follow in that particular moment. But they set up that the, him and this officer Bell had a Fani and this officer Bell had a run in earlier in their in the in the movie where Fani is stopping a dude from like being a creep to Tish in a grocery store and kind of like throws him out on the curb and then the police runs over and is going to arrest him. But the the grocery store clerk or owner yells mm-hmm. at him and says, no, they're fine. He don't arrest him. It, he was, you know, and that felt to me like a potential movie ad of setting up their dynamic of like, Oh, cause he's like, I'll see you around or whatever. And he's like, no, maybe you won't or whatever. And him being the one that ultimately arrests him felt like maybe, maybe this scene never happened to the grocery store scene or something. Is that is it the same cop? Is that that all play out like that? Yes. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Sorry, that was a long way of getting there. <laughs> so it is. It is that yeah, they have so that same. Yeah, we know. Um, similar to how it happens in the movie, we know in the book that Officer Bell is the one who arrests Fani and brings him in for allegedly raping this woman, and then we find out later on that they had this altercation outside mm. of. The grocery store. Gotcha. I think it's a vegetable stand in the book, but gotcha. yeah, same same difference. Interesting. Um, so throughout the course of the movie, there's uh, Tish has voiceovers, and uh, th- this is I assumed a lot of the stuff was directly from the book, but this was the voiceovers in particular. I had a feeling just the way they were written and the way they sounded because I, I like I've mentioned before in the prequel, I have heard James Baldwin speak and I've heard the way he writes. And this sounded very much like his style. Um, were those voiceovers like word for word pulled from the book? As far as I can tell, yeah. Yeah. Like I recognized a lot of it. And if it's not exactly word for word, it's pretty dang close. Yeah. Oh, we mentioned the perfume one. Yeah. In particular, which yeah. is very close to what you said, almost word for word from the book. So, yeah, it's his style is so distinct. I mm-hmm. feel like it just every time, like as throughout the course of the movie, whenever she would start talking, I could tell I was like, oh, yeah, for sure. That's that's that's. Boring. Yeah, he has a particular way. I say this not having actually read a lot of his work. Right. But disclaimer, he has a particular way with metaphor that is not at all 
flowery. Yeah. But still very beautiful and very impactful, yes. but also like manages to cut you a little bit. You, you know what it reminds me of? And, and I'm sure he's a huge inspiration for this particular scene. It would make perfect sense, but he wrote it were his style and and the way a lot of the 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 voiceovers and stuff and in some of the dialogue in but in particular her voiceovers in the movie remind me of um spoken word poetry like mm-hmm. and that that whole like beat poem scene like yeah it's got a cadence to that it. cadence and the and the and again like you said your description of the metaphors without being flowery or overwrought yeah but also very like just yeah they cut you and it it reminds me of listening to like really good spoken word. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a very, it, yeah, that cadence and everything about it. And I'm sure he was probably his style and his uh, writing, um, his writings, I'm sure play a huge role in that. I wouldn't, I would be amazed if, if he wasn't a prominent figure in sort of inspiration for that scene. Yeah. I would bet. I don't know. <laughs> I'm not a big part of the spoken word scene, but yeah, it just, it's, it seems too, they seem too similar to me not to, for mm-hmm. for spoken word not to have come from a similar place or you know be directly inspired by him to yeah. some extent or yeah. for both of them to be directly inspired by you know what i mean i don't yeah. know and uh, the movie does like the the book is all from tisha's perspective yeah so we have like even more of that kind of dialogue and like mm-hmm. internal monologue from her in the book and the movie makes really good use of it we talked about voiceover in our Twilight episode. Yeah. But this is a good example of yes. voiceover. <laughs> yes. And you know what else? I think what else kind of lent to my the spoken word uh, beat poem type mm-hmm. of beat poetry type of thing is that the, the soundtrack is playing a lot while she's doing her voiceovers. And yeah. it's a very sort of yeah, that's a restrained, very, like, jazzy. Mm-hmm. And that's a very beat poetry yeah. kind of a thing. Yeah. Very minimal, like you know, uh, bass and drums type of thing kind of in the background um, with, a, you know, like a muted trumpet or something going. Uh, <laughs> and yeah, it, it, I think that's also probably what made me feel that way. But even without that, just again, like you said, the cadence of the, the writing and the delivery, something about it. It's so powerful. All right. Uh, when this has got to take a little bit of time to set up. Victoria, who is the victim, uh, who accused Fani, she ends up leaving the country and going back to Puerto Rico. Yes. And uh, Tish's mom, Sharon, mm-hmm. uh, they're gonna, she's going to go down there and try to talk to Victoria to convince her, like, not or to come back and 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 look at the picture and be like, "Are you sure?" it wasn't him like you it, yeah you know we know it wasn't him you're, you're mistaking and like try to talk to her and get her to come back and testify that she was wrong and that it wasn't right, basically funny. to recant recant her her yeah. not her whole story right but, but just that it was funny yeah because she just pulls him out of a lineup that they present f- yeah. to her or whatever which is a huge problem that is a whole nother thing i mean it's the whole point of the story but or one of the whole points of the story but yeah the uh, <laughs> So she goes to Puerto Rico to talk to Victoria, and when she gets there, she goes into her hotel room and she gets ready to go out for the evening. And she there's this big long scene in the movie where she's getting ready and she she like puts on a, a wig cap and then puts on a wig that is like a permed mm-hmm. like straight 
it, you know, I don't even. It's just like a like it's a like a, a yeah, kind of a permed like shorter style, a shorter style than her natural hair. And she's looking at herself in the mirror, and then she she she's you know, it's, there's a lot of complicated emotions going on. And she takes it off, and then like looks at her her natural hair, and um, she ends up wearing the wig. Yeah, when we see uh, her in the car, she's wearing. The she wig. is wearing the wig to this this meeting with um, I can't remember his name. Uh, the guy from Game of Thrones. Um, yeah. Uh, with uh, the Mandalorian, Prince, uh, yeah, and the and the Mandalorian, yeah. What is this? Uh, Prince, uh, I keep wanting to call Oberyn? him Caspian. Oberyn, or something Oberyn like Martell, that. yeah, um, from Game of Thrones, and also yes, he is the Mandalorian. Uh, she she's going to meet with him because he's the brother, I think of. So I, I was surprised that you didn't ask about. This. I was going to ask him maybe her husband or brother. I because couldn't tell in in the book. They're like lovers kind okay. of or like that's the story anyway but he's like a nightclub owner yeah he so. owns this club she goes to yeah okay because i read it maybe as like because she goes to america to marry some rich white guy right yeah. in the movie and they, they that's only briefly touched upon and then so i assumed that he was either her brother because in the credits they have the same last name yeah so either her brother or or relative of some sort or her uh like husband from there who maybe she left to go get you know for mm-hmm. maybe he was like her husband when they were there but they needed money or who i don't you know i didn't they don't go into any of the backstory really there's a little bit at the beginning briefly explaining like her going to america but it's yeah. not a lot of information regardless she goes to meet with him so that she he can she can try to talk him into getting her a meeting with Victoria so she can talk to Victoria about this. And she's wearing this wig. The whole wig scene. What is that in the book? What do you think it's about? Um, I mean, I have my theories potentially, but I don't, I don't know. I don't know if, if it's expanded on in the book at all, if it is in the book. Um, so there's a similar scene in the book, but instead of a wig, she changes different articles of clothing a few times as okay. she's getting ready. Like she puts her hat on and takes her hat back off and puts it back on. And then she like puts a shawl on and then like puts it up over her head and then takes it down off of her head and then takes the shawl off completely. Yeah. So it's kind of similar. A similar idea. Um, and in the book, I read it as like an anxiety yeah. thing and i think that comes through in the movie yes. as well i think the movie's version is very powerful and timely yeah. i can't speak to um being a black woman and <laughs> having like that the 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 issues that like your natural hair yes, versus dealing, like dealing with the socially uh, the social um the social pressures, pressures to have your hair look a certain type yes, of way. Yes. I can't speak to that. No, not at all. But that was what I got from that yeah. scene was that she was dealing with that in a way because one, she's already anxious because she's in another country that she doesn't know. Um, and, yeah. And she's about, to do, something she's about to do something very difficult, possibly dangerous. Difficult, possibly dangerous, but also uh, a, a ton is writing on it. Like yes. it's not only is it, it, not only is it difficult and potentially dangerous, it's incredibly like in uh, you know it, the stakes are could not be higher yeah um so she's got all this anxiety but and so she's trying to present herself in the way that she thinks will put her best foot forward so to speak mm-hmm. you know what i mean and so that's what i got from the scene was that she's she she brought this wig um so that because she, you know society tells her 
she feels like she's supposed, her hair should look a certain way and it doesn't or you know her natural hair is 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 not you know straight and wavy or whatever um that this wig is and so she's dealing with that sort of inner conflict of trying to decide um and, and yeah. just the anxiety and all that yeah and, it's and, and trying to figure out like how am I going to be best perceived here? Is it yeah. better if I wear the wig or is it better if I wear my natural hair? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. You can't Google like, what are the, so <laughs> like, oh, I'm visiting Puerto Rico. How are their, what are their feelings on, on, on uh, natural hair? You know what I mean? Like you could Google that now. You could literally Google like what the sort of like societal, like, yeah. you know, if you go to a certain country and it's like, oh, you're a woman, don't wear a certain thing or you know, like, or cover your hair or whatever. Like you can Google that now. You couldn't Google that in the seventies, so you might not, you just might not know. And on top of that, yeah, I think it's I think it's just a very like you said, it's just a very powerful, timely scene of just there's so much going on, and then mm-hmm. it's just this extra layer of bullshit she has to con- it. She shouldn't have to consider and deal con- like agonize over whether or not to wear a wig, and if that's gonna make a difference in whether or not she can maybe potentially help keep her <laughs> future son-in-law out of prison. Yeah, like. It, it's this extra layer of bullshit she has to deal with in that moment in an already just incredible insane high stakes anxiety inducing moment that really comes through in the in the movie in that scene um and yeah it's okay so not that is a slight tweak from the book yeah. but a potentially very good tweak i yeah i think it's a good tweak cool only a couple more here uh, the scene where Tish's mom confronts Victoria. She does eventually, after she talks to Oberyn Martell, he gives her, uh, he says, okay, I'll, you know, I'll let you meet with her. And he, the next morning she meets with Victoria and they're talking. And this scene is, I like, heartbreaking in every possible way. And it's this weird, awful intersection of traumas <laughs> that is just, like, terrible. Yeah. And awful. And just everything about it is terrible, but it's also really really good uh, is that a uh, scene in the book i assume it is but yes and it is also very close to being exactly as it appears in the book yeah because there's it's just this it's just this uh just yeah it is brutal it's this horrible brutal intersection like you said of trauma yeah where like she's a rape victim yeah and dealing with that and, and just wants it to be and over. just wants it to be over and she was pressured into, probably pressured into pulling, not probably, for sure pressured yeah. into pulling somebody out of a lineup, maybe even specifically nudged and very likely nudged towards Fani because this cop had a grudge against him or whatever. Yeah. And so, you know, but but also if she, if she goes back on her word, it, that opens up that wound all over again and makes this whole thing, it's just a nightmare. Yeah. But then also, and, and, and the whole time uh tish's mom gets all of that like she's not naive to that yeah you know she understands and is but (laughs) same time she's like yeah i get it but also you know it's this intersection of like the racial injustice with um sexual injustice and like it's just it's big cacophony of awful terribleness that Mm -hmm. blows up in the way it probably all would like it makes like she just breaks like uh victoria just kind of like has a breaks down yeah just like has like an anxiety panic attack or something and just like starts screaming um and then the scene ends and it's uh, it's terrible but it really <laughs> i mean i'm gonna 
I'm going to attempt to speak to this as eloquently and knowledgeably as I can. Okay. Here we go. Do your best. It's this really brutal, horrible, but also very, I'm going to say good, but I mean more like accurate and necessary depiction of how the justice system fails everyone. Yes. Just across the board, the only person who wins here is the fucking white cop. Yeah. He's the only one who gets what he wants. Yeah. Yeah. Because they like Victoria's not getting any justice. She was raped. And the guy who's going to jail for it is not the perpetrator. That guy's still out there somewhere. somewhere, Yep. Yeah. And it's, yeah, and it, and it's it's that it, it is, and it's it's one of those tough topics too because it is one of those things that that that's an intersection even currently in like intersectional um, feminism and stuff that 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 is a topic that becomes tough because obviously with the current Me Too movement and that sort of thing, I say current but the, you know the the place we're at in in finally at least somewhat taking um, victims of sexual assault. And, and trauma seriously and and you know the 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 hashtag believe all women type of thing um which was a clumsily worded hashtag yeah <laughs> um right because we still we still do yeah. have to consider the historical yeah trend of black men being falsely yes, accused that's, that's of the rape. intersection of what yeah. i was talking about there where it's yeah it's it's that that was a thing that was used for hundreds of years i mean and you still know, for, is and still is uh, yeah i don't want to say you know but yeah it was definitely a huge problem for a long time and yes definitely still is but um that yeah false allegations against particularly uh black men in in america's uh, it was rampant um and 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 yeah, and then and then that butting up against the the very real re, the, the the reality that so much uh, sexual assault goes completely un unreported slash uninvestigated yeah. on anything, um, and it is yeah, it's a, it's a very hard intersection, and I think it's, that scene that this whole story I think is it's a brilliant, brutal, painful depiction of that intersection yes. yeah that scene is like the epitome of it but yes that the whole movie does that yeah. very well and it's yeah Ugh. final question uh we get to the end of the movie and we find out it's revealed that uh Fani did not get out of jail he's in jail he took a plea deal um because victoria wouldn't testify or recant or recant or whatever and uh Tish and uh, Alonzo Jr. come to visit Fani, and uh, they're hanging out and they're having snacks or whatever. And he's uh, Fani's gonna eat like a honey bun or whatever it is. And the little kid goes, "We gotta say grace first. And they say grace. And I want to talk about the scene more later, but they say grace, and uh, and then basically the movie ends. Um, is that scene in the book? No, it's not. The whole scene at all, or just no, the grace? No, not scene? any of it. Interesting. That particular scene, I'll just talk about it now. Mm-hmm. Um, so I mentioned earlier sort of the uh, the tension with religion that this movie has. And that scene in particular, I really cemented for me that this story was way more 
uh, antagonistic towards religion than I was expecting. The way I read that scene, and I think you could read that scene lots of different ways, but they get to the end of the story. I think there's lots of times throughout where religion is depicted as this thing that like Fani's mom is like super religious and, and to some extent, um, as far as we can tell, uh, Tish and her family are religious, just not incredibly like, so like, they're not like holy rollers as they call mm-hmm. it. But that scene in particular, when they, when the little kid says great, uh, her, his son, their, their kid says grace, they, Fani and Tish, as he's saying it and afterwards he's like thanking God for all of the blessings in their life or whatever. And they share this look and the, and the reaction Fani has where he like crosses his arm and afterwards to me reads so distinctly as the, how do how do how to describe this? Um, that he, he in that moment, it's, it, it's very pivotal that it's a it's sort of the religion of this little who how to say this <laughs> <laughs> to me that scene comes across depicting religion as the naive hope of of like a child of like i could agree with that 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 yeah. like this idea of oh god's looking out for us oh thanks for our blessings meanwhile his dad's in jail like meanwhile fanny's sitting there his reaction to me reads wait until you get out into the world again (laughs) like type of thing of like you know it to me that scene reads that only a kid only a a little kid living in america in this time and experiencing the things that like fani and tish have gone through could only a little kid could 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 still have this like steadfast faith it, it to me it reads very like again it paints religion in a very naive sort of childish mm-hmm. as a very naive childish belief i'm not saying i necessarily buy that or believe that i mean i kind of do to some extent we're not gonna get into my atheism here that's a whole <laughs> nother thing um but the point is that to me that scene reads very negative comes across very negative on religion i don't know if you got that from it that I, that was my reading yeah. on it, and and again, something about Fani and Tish's the way they look at each other and their reaction is, I can't find the words to describe the the, the look they share. It's a charged as he, look. It's this charged look of like, I can't find the words to describe it. I'm having such a hard time. I should have written something down because I'm trying to come up with it on the fly, and I can't do a good job of accurately describing what I'm trying to say. It's driving me crazy. But yeah, I, I, I that scene in particular, I was like, "Whoa, okay." I wasn't expecting this movie to like, because to me that that this that scene is this movie just like kicking religion to the curb. I'm sure other people could read it other ways. You could also, I could absolutely see people watching that scene and reading it as this very cute, like hopeful, mm-hmm. like oh, but they still have faith together thing or whatever. That's not how I read it, but. I could see people reading it that way. Well, and I think the book, too, is also very critical of religion, maybe even more so than the movie. Yeah, I think that's probably true. Which, and we know, if you listen to the prequel, James Baldwin. Not a religious guy. Not a religious guy. (laughs) No. All right, that was it for Was That in the Book? We do not have Lost in Adaptation. Let's go ahead and find out what was better in the book. You like to read? Oh, yes. I love to read. What do you like to read? Everything. All right, I've got a couple things here. 
So one of the first things I noticed the movie skipping over or cutting out was Tish telling her mom that she's pregnant, which it's fine. Like, I understand the movie wanting to cut one of multiple reveals of her pregnancy. But it was a moment in the book that I really liked where Tish is like kind of teetering on the edge of saying it. And she just she looks at her mom and her mom just knows. And it's a really powerful that's, like mother daughter moment. Am I crazy that that's in the movie? I feel like it like cut and then they were just talking about it. I guess we don't see that exact moment. But yeah. Okay, the, I read it as she's getting ready to tell her and then her mom already realizes and then it just cuts to them talking about it. That was it. not Did how you? I read it. Okay. We also had issues with Hulu while we were watching this where Hulu was putting weird Yeah, edits. Hulu can get fucked. Ed- Hulu's player is terrible. I We have so many issues with it. Um, but it was putting weird like cuts and edits in places. It was like... Um, so, anyways. I think where maybe there were... Supposed, supposed to be, to be commercials, commercial, but, but there weren't commercials, and so it, it was it was causing issues. But regardless, I felt like it was mostly there. But maybe at not. any rate, okay. it was a moment in the book that I really liked. That I didn't feel maybe it just didn't translate the same yeah. for me in the yeah. movie. Um, again, I understand the movie's decision to cut things. That's often the case when you're adapting a book into a film. I do think that maybe it wasn't wholly necessary to include these, but I did at least miss some of the scenes where they're kids together. There's a scene in particular where they go to church with Fani's mom, and it was very <laughs> indicative of James Baldwin's feelings about religion. Yeah. It was a great scene um i like i said i don't know that we necessarily quote need it narratively but it was a good scene uh there was also a character that i liked that got cut out of the puerto rico part of the story uh there's a a boy named jamie I, i say boy he's like 18 or something um in the book who basically like drives Sharon around Puerto Rico yeah. um and ends up getting like really attached to her um and there's that reaches like a certain point with that story there where like she's still there but she can't like go out and try to talk to people because everybody knows what she's trying to do and they just won't talk oh. to her so like he goes out for her yeah. and like is her eyes and ears on the ground in Puerto Rico which I thought was really interesting yeah and again like i understand the decision to streamline that i think he's mentioned in the movie i think he says like but i don't i don't even know if we see remember. him but oh, cuz there is a mention of her somebody taking her to Victoria yeah, they make it uh, um, Ober and Martell's character who no. takes it there. No, I don't think so. Yes, I think it did. Also, I said Jamie, and I meant not to do that. I'm sure it's pronounced Jaime. Jaime. Yeah, I was going <laughs> to ask. But I'm seeing like, I'm the J, sure. and yeah. my brain is just rolling. I was going to say, I think it's probably Jaime. It's though. probably Jaime. Yeah, I'm sure it is. It's Puerto Rico. I'm sure it's Jaime. The book spends a scene with Fani in his jail cell, which is brutal and incredibly difficult to read but i thought important 
And we only get like a brief little tiny bit of that in the movie. Yeah, there's like one shot. Like, like they show him. In like a in montage his, almost. Yeah. Of, yeah. Fanny's dad commits suicide Ugh. in the book. Not that this story needs more tragedy. <laughs> no. But I I did think it was a a kind of a poignant way to show that not everybody is able to just yeah. push forward through these experiences. And I, I do think that without that part of the story, that maybe the whole story overall dances a little teeny bit close to like the strong black person trope. Yeah, I can see that potentially. Yeah. So I'm just going to put that out there. <laughs> make of that whatever you will. <laughs> yeah. That's the thing that happens in the book that the movie doesn't yeah. do. Another thing that was in the book. So the book introduces the fact that Victoria reported only that she was raped by a black man. And then Fanny was magically the only black oh. man in the lineup. So we have this hope at one point in the book that maybe they can get the whole case thrown out. But then Victoria goes missing and everything gets buried in legal red tape again. Mm. And that happens very shortly before the end of the book. And I thought it was kind of an interesting, like, ooh, I'm going to give you hope and then I'm going to pull the rug back out from under yeah. you moment. That I don't I don't know if that's mentioned in the movie, but I didn't come across that he was yeah, the I only don't black recall that being mentioned. guy in the lineup. I mean, maybe they talk. There's a lot of talk at different times about. The, there's a lot of like backstory that we get fairly quickly. Yeah, in the movie. Yeah, I think you could probably benefit from a second viewing. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I think it would help a lot. And uh, yeah, and also the, I think and we talked about this a little bit during the show. I had issue. I think the sound mix. It's our TV. I have issues with it sometimes. But I had I had some dialogue at different times. I had issues understanding because the mm -hmm. timbre of the voice mixed with the the music and stuff. It was like blending a little bit. Yeah, was, there are a lot of characters with very deep, like deeper voices. Deep voices. And, and and it and even not that even without that, I just I had they're talking quickly at times, and it's I had some trouble with the sound mix understanding some of the lines here and there. So I think I might have missed a couple things, but. Yeah, but I don't I don't recall that that was yeah because that's a very specific like a very. Um, makes it even more obviously, you, you know, mm -hmm. um, like a setup. Setup, yeah. yeah, and a more obvious setup against Fani if he's literally, she's like, oh, it was a black guy, and he's the only black guy in the lineup. Like, oh, okay, well, <laughs> who else is she gonna pick? <laughs> like, yeah. All right, that was it for better in the book. Let's go ahead and talk about what was better in the movie. My life has taught me one lesson, Hugo, and not the one I thought it would. Happy endings only happen in the movies. So the book starts off with Tish visiting Fani in jail. I thought the movie made a good decision to place that very short scene with them, like walking together, yeah. um, ahead of revealing that he's in prison. I thought it was a good way to like set them up, yeah. make us care about them, and then drop the other shoe. Yeah. Ernestine, Tish's sister, has a line... Um, after the big blow-up argument between their families that was not in the book, but that I loved, uh, Fani's mother says something like, my daughters won't bring home bastards, to which Ernestine fires back, that's because nobody wants to fuck them. Yeah. <laughs> which is a great line. 
And, and like, not only is that a great line, but it also totally fit. Like, I had to go back and make sure, make sure she didn't <laughs> yeah. say that in the book because I was like, I don't know, that totally would track. I feel yeah. like she could have said that in the book, but I checked. <laughs> it's not in the book. Also, we talked briefly about the scene where Fani gives Tish's mother a sculpture mm-hmm. um, as a way of, and like, the movie uses that as having Tish talk about like the moment she realized that Fani loved her. Yeah. Which I thought, I thought that was a really nice scene. Yeah, it was, really, it was, sweet. Like, it was yeah. really sweet and it was really beautifully lit yeah. and shot. Everything in this movie is beautifully yeah. lit and shot. It's freaking gorgeous. Um, just and the, the book does mention at one point a sculpture that Fani gave to Sharon, but yeah. I thought like giving it a purposeful, Mm-hmm. like its scene, own scene its own and thing. its own kind of purpose within the narrative in the movie was a good choice uh Fani's little basement apartment his pad yeah as he calls it i thought was more interesting in the movie it was kind of like artisty looking yeah. in the movie he had like like the the boards over the bathtub to make like a makeshift i didn't realize space. that until the end of the movie when she's sitting next to the bathtub and i was like i yeah. thought a table was there and then i saw the board sitting up against the wall i was like oh yeah that's interesting uh, but I thought, yeah, it looked like kind of like cool, like a little artist, yeah. an artist's hovel. Oh, very much like a, <laughs> yeah, a, a New York artist's uh, yeah. studio type of Whereas thing. Whereas in the book, it was described as like way more like spare and kind of bleak sounding. I mean, it's pretty bleak and spare in the movie, but it does, it has personality. Yeah. But, yeah. yeah. All right. Now, I'm not usually squeamish about sex scenes, but... <laughs> I think in this instance, the scene where Fani and Tish have sex the first time, way better watching it than reading it. Yeah. The book had some descriptions of bodily fluids oh. that I like truly could have gone all my life <laughs> without reading. I, I, I'm not usually squeamish about this kind of thing, but That's it was just a lot all right. for me. Yeah. So if you are going to read the book, just keep in mind that that's lurking and waiting for you. There you go. All right. Next point. (laughs) Uh, So when they are about to have sex, uh, there is a moment where Fani like puts a blanket around her. Yeah. Uh, In the movie, he does that and then he goes and puts on a record and dims the lights. Yeah. I thought that was a preferable romantic change to in the book, he does that and then he goes to the bathroom. (laughs) Which, I mean, is also a necessary thing yeah, to do before sex. Yeah, it's also very sex. realistic. It's very realistic. <laughs> but I thought the movie brought a romantic aesthetic yes. quality yes. to the scene. Yeah, I mean, in that moment with the, the sort of everything that scene is doing in the film, the music, the lighting, the mm-hmm. every the way it's playing out, uh, yeah, it would be, if you walked down the hall and then we heard him peeing, like it wouldn't be quite... Wouldn't quite fit in the mood, the vibe. It, yeah, it would be a different kind of a scene. <laughs> yeah, for sure. If that happened in the movie. I loved Tish's call him Fonny speech to the lawyer, to the lawyer in yeah. the movie. Is that not in the book at no, all? No, it's not. Yeah, it's really good. Yeah. I also liked that we got to see one of Tish's nightmares in the movie. She has a nightmare where she's like in the subway and, oh, it, like, and he's... it pans back and he's like shaking on the bars and screaming, yeah. let me out. Yeah. Which the book mentions that she has nightmares, but we don't ever see one. See one, yeah. I also thought um, it was kind of cheesy, 
But I thought the scene where they go to look at the loft. Oh, with Dave Franco. With Dave Franco, <laughs> and they fake move a refrigerator yeah. into yeah, the it loft. Really cute. I, it was it was cute. Yeah. It's cheesy, but it's cute. Oh yeah, no, this movie does a great job with the when it's not heartbreaking. It's, I mean, that's why it's heartbreaking is because it's so cute and their chemistry yeah. is so good. Yeah, and 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 the the scenes we get <laughs> you of just, them, you really want those two crazy kids to make it. Yeah, yeah, they're adorable, and you just you love them both. They seem they both very like you get enough you get enough. Um, uh, characterization of each of them to really understand what makes them tick and also why they care about each other and and they also have they're not n- remotely one dimensional like you know Fani has his art and stuff but he's also um, fiercely like protective of her and also and, 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 and but Tish is also despite her being she tends to be more demure and quiet Mm-hmm. And seemingly sort of, uh, you know, demure, I guess is probably the best word. But she has moments in the movie where she absolutely stands up and has more of a fiery... You see, like, the more of her sister or, like, yeah. her mom in her... Like, even when, um, in the moment in the beginning where uh, Fani's mom is, like, berating her, like, she stands up for herself. She doesn't just take it. Yeah. Like, and, I, and yeah, I think the movie does an incredible job. And, again, it's what makes it so heartbreaking is that their relationship is so... It is... If if it, if there wasn't this heartbreaking, awful story going on around their relationship, it would just be a great, like, romantic film. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. it would just be a beautiful, like... Or, or you could have that same... Like, like, the scene with Dave Franco and that whole... The whole fake moving the refrigerator... That whole bit could have been ripped out of a a, a rom com. Yeah, like yeah. we could have been watching these two characters in a rom com, but we <laughs> we don't get to. Yeah, but you want to. But you want to. You de- yeah. like I desperately want to just watch a story about them like starting a life together. Right? That's the movie twenty twenty <laughs> needs. Enough of this not terrible sadness. We got like the the he gets out. Of, it's it's a sequel, and it's it's like oh that moment where it it ticks up right where they were hanging out in the in the commissary or in the meeting room, and then they're they're the little kid says grace, and then the movie ends. But then it kicks back up right there, and funny, and then Tish is like, "I'm so glad you're getting out tomorrow," and they're like, "Yeah," and then it's just them having a great life for the next twenty years, and that's the movie, <laughs> like. Yeah, I mean, I would uh, that would truly be sort of an undercutting of the original message in a way of like yeah. the Rambo sequels are of the original Rambo, but or Last Blood or First Blood. But yeah, it's uh, <laughs> you do want that, which is what makes it more of a fa- as effective of a film as it is. Yes, it's because you desperately want that. Absolutely. I also thought this movie had a really good montage in it. There's a montage close to the end. Um, and all of the dialogue, like her uh, dialogue, her monologue over it is straight from the book. So we know yeah. that all of this stuff happens, but we don't actually see it in the yeah. book. It's just like some exposition. But the montage moves from like uh, their lawyer interacting with the other lawyers and realizing that like, they're oh, this is for, yeah, representing a yeah, black guy. And know. like learning about that systemic yeah. issue. Yeah. 
like in the moment and then it moves like into the family arguing about money and then it moves into uh, both of the dads moving stolen goods and yeah. I thought it was a really great montage and a, a good addition to the verbatim lines from the book. Yeah, the that montage in particular the the moment it's very 70s that moment where they're they're smuggling the clothes or whatever and that's that sh- that's the shot i mentioned earlier where the dad's dressed super yeah. cool and but there he turns and like looks with like his cool like fedora and stuff and the camera like zooms in and it feels like something out of a heist movie yeah you know what i mean it's like this weird like heist sh- movie thing like moment dropped in the middle of this it's like a ton of fun all right let's go ahead and talk about what the movie nailed which is like everything it was basically everything, yeah. As I expected, practically perfect in every way. We already talked about a lot of the stuff that the movie nailed. I'm just going to give a couple more things that we hadn't specifically touched on. Uh, one of Tisha's first lines, it might be the very first thing she says in the voiceover in the movie, is... I hope that nobody ever has to look at anybody they love through glass, Yeah, which is straight from the book. Yeah, I almost used that for the opening quote when I was looking at quotes. Yeah. yeah. Fani stealing the tools and the wood from the vocational school to Mm -hmm. start on his artistic endeavors. That's straight from the book. The scene with her dad when he finds out that she's pregnant and he asks her if she's sure that she wants the baby and then is reassuring her that she's not a bad girl. Yeah. Is nice. out of the book. And I thought that was a really sweet scene. Yeah, it is. And like refreshing. Yeah. Because it's not the kind of scene that you expect. No. In that situation. No, and especially not it's especially that that knowing that it is directly from the book because yeah. that's a, that's for a 19 something written in 1976 or whatever it was mm-hmm. in the 70s it was in the 70s yeah yeah so it's it's that you know that uh an attitude like that may be more common these days yeah potentially a little more um but maybe less so back in the 70s and mm-hmm. it, it, yeah i i that is it's a very sweet scene uh the the restaurant that they go to they call it the spanish restaurant in the book I don't know if that's necessarily, I don't know, I have no idea if that's accurate or not. No, I don't know. Um, but they call it the Spanish restaurant, and then uh, Diego Luna's yeah, it's character, Diego Luna works. Uh, the, the owner of the restaurant who always flirts with Tish. Yeah. Um, so that's right out of the book. Um, and. Oh, I did, I mentioned, I did, I meant to ask this, does Fani speak Spanish? Yes, he does. Yeah. Because that moment when they first go to that restaurant and he's speaking Spanish, that moment the look it's some brilliant act it's very subtle acting but uh uh is it kiki lane is that who plays tish is that the actress's name i believe oh, i think I it is think so i think it is kiki lane is in this movie i'm pretty sure she plays tish but i remember because i read all the actors names and i can't remember um but tish in that moment when he starts speaking spanish diego luna the look on her face she just she was already in love with him but yeah. she just like melts and it's just watch that moment when you're if you haven't watched this movie yet just look at her face in that moment it's great the last thing that i have under the movie nailed it is his friend daniel his story about why he is sent to prison for stealing a car and he doesn't even know how to drive a car oh yeah is exactly out of the book yeah yeah that guy did a good job too that's brian tyree henry um i believe is the actor's name 
uh, who is um, I most knew from uh, he's been in um, lots of stuff now, Atlanta. but Atlanta was yeah. the thing that I first saw him in. But he's been in other stuff since then because he kind of blew up in Atlanta. Um, but yeah, he's really good in, it, in that scene. Mm-hmm. All of their scenes together are really good. But their whole discussion of jail and stuff is or prison is. Whew. All right, we got a few odds and ends before we get to the final verdict. The score, we both have this note, is... The score of this movie destroyed me. So good. I don't know, I don't think it was nominated for anything, and it's blown away, because it's so just haunting and amazing um and that the the one it's the first song in the movie when they're walking together yeah and that was the same one that was in the trailer and it it like immediately gripped me in the trailer and i know why they put it in the trailer because it's just such a it's this like incredible like haunting it's 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 like dreamy and like it's that repeating uh it's like a repeating trumpet over like horns or something like very low quiet horns and it's just kind of swells and it's just repeating trumpet like it just keeps going you know it just keeps doing that over and over again um and it's like a muted trumpet and it's just so it's it is it evokes this dream light and it works great in that scene because it is like this is the before anything anything is wrong that we know of yeah this is the dream world yes floating through this beautiful warm summer day or you know or fall day and it's but but the whole score throughout the whole film but that that theme is so good yeah so just this is my first note that i wrote down like the first couple of uh notes of that score and i was like oh i can already tell this is gonna destroy me yeah (laughs) yeah uh it's 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 nuts um and the cinematography we mentioned oh, it a few times yeah. but it's so good uh the guys i can't remember the guy's name i saw it was jason baxter or something like that he also shot moonlight uh and he's to work he's worked on tons of stuff now but he works with barry jenkins a lot and it's it's so it, it's the they they chose a very distinct and and uh specific color palette for everything everything's really warm mm-hmm. it's like yellows and oranges and reds and greens um but like a warm green if that makes mm-hmm. sense it's like a yellowy green um and it's just the one shot in particular that stuck out i have a note about it too but and you posted a picture of it but that shot where they're walking down the street in the rain after they leave the spanish restaurant with the red umbrella yeah is just stunning like you could just take that print it out huge and put it on your wall you do that with a lot of shots in this movie but there's so many just really cool there's that cool moment um where he he's sculpting and smoking and the camera's spinning yeah. around the sculpture and it's the smoke's hanging in the light and oh and just... they made such cool use of smoke throughout the yes, film too they really did yeah and and which makes sense because at a time where everybody was smoking mm-hmm. but they took it and they really integrated it into the visual style yeah. i guess that's the... also something that the movie nails because they're just constantly smoking <laughs> yeah. throughout I mean, the book too it's the 70s yeah. Yeah, everybody was smoking all the, you know all the way up until like what the 90s or whatever everybody just everybody yeah. smoked all the time um or maybe the 80s i think and like really on that note too something that i thought was funny that i didn't think to mention before when uh when she tells her family that she's pregnant and they like break out the brandy yeah and her mom says like 
oh, just a small one for Tish yeah. or something like that. That was very much a modern update. Oh, yeah. she drinks and smokes throughout her entire uh, pregnancy yeah, 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 yeah. in the book. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that makes sense. Um, but yeah, they, uh, yeah, it's just this, oh, so good there. And that moment, one of the moments that really struck me too, the way they, there was a couple, every time they showed them holding hands, the way the camera revealed it mm-hmm. was just so beautiful. And like, there's that one in particular where they're walking down the street. They do a lot of walking down the middle of streets. So I was like, yeah, I guess that's, it was probably a choice in terms of like there's this young, carefree, mm-hmm. just walking down the middle of the street type of thing. But uh, um, and then that there's a one shot too in particular that reveals Fonny's face a little bit when um when he gives uh Tish's mom the the wood thing. Mm-hmm. There's a shot from over Tish's mom's shoulder, and like she's holding the wood thing and she moves it and it like comes down and the way it reveals his I, just everything about the movie I could. I want to watch it again just to look at it again because it's just so beautiful. I thought it was really like they did a very good job. Uh, Stephen James or Stefan James. I could not find how to pronounce it because it's spelled S-T-E-P-H-A-N, which I feel like could read either way. Yeah, that could go either way. (laughs) So I think it's probably Stephen, but I don't know. Um, I guess I could have looked up an interview. I was trying to like Google like like pronunciation guy i couldn't i should have just looked up an interview where somebody says his name an idiot but um (laughs) but all all the casting in this is great everybody's incredible but uh him they did a they must have really went out of their way to find somebody with like the saddest eyes yeah he has his his eyes have this immense sadness in them just naturally i feel like and Mm -hmm. it works really well for this movie but i mean it's not they're not always just sad but like he has this look to him that he yeah he does world weary and beaten yeah very well (laughs) maybe the casting call specified sad eyes yeah who knows who knows but uh so i want to talk about the ending yeah end of the movie versus the end of the book now the end of the movie you can definitely read hopeful yeah i would say so yeah we don't know we don't know when he's gonna get out but the the assumption is he she takes a plea deal from what they say he's been in for yeah. at least five years we're to assume maybe you know a little while right. longer yeah so at five, the end, of, at the end of the movie we see tish deliver the baby uh, she has like a home birth yeah. in Fonny's little own. little apartment. I thought that was interesting. Yeah. Uh, and like you said, Fonny, he ends up having to take a plea deal, so he's in prison. But like we see the family interacting. Yeah. They allude to him getting out at some point. At some point. We don't know how long. Could be five years, could be 20 yeah. years. But. So now, and I think you can, like we talked about earlier, you can read certain aspects of it bleak. Yeah. But you can also read it hopeful. Yeah. The book, the book <laughs> ends, uh, so the family finds out that Frank committed suicide. And that's Fonny's dad. Fonny's dad. dad. Yeah. Uh, and then the last few lines of the book right after that imply that Tish has started going into labor. Okay. And I'm going to read a very small excerpt. I opened my mouth to say, I don't know what. When I opened my mouth, I couldn't catch my breath. Everything disappeared except my mother's eyes. An incredible intelligence charged the air between us. Then, 
All I could see was Fani. And then I screamed, and my time had come. Fani is working on the wood on the stone, whistling, smiling. And from far away, but coming nearer, the baby cries and 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 cries, cries like it means to wake the dead. The end. Yeah. Yes. That's... Yeah. That's... I don't, I don't know how you read that one as hopeful. No, definitely it's not. It's pretty bleak. It's pretty bleak. Um, So basically in the book, we never find out what happens like with the Fani. Of yeah. yeah. We don't know. Does he, does he take a plea deal? Do they manage to get him out? Um, there's a little bit at the end where they're trying to like kind of scrape up bail money because they think maybe they can get him out on bail since Victoria has disappeared and they don't know when the trial is going to happen. Yeah. Um, so we're like, well, do they manage to get him out? Does he end up having to go to trial? What happens with that? Does he have to take a deal? We just, we don't know. Yeah. And I didn't really feel comfortable putting this particular change into either section because i think we need both of these endings on different occasions the book is stark and heartbreaking and the movie is hopeful i think you could argue that maybe the book is more realistic i mean yeah i don't think the movie's unrealistic and it's ending the movie is still heartbreaking and because and the movie leaves us with that unsure we don't know he That's might true. be in there yeah. for the rest of his life. Yeah, we don't you know. You know what I mean? I mean, we get that there's at least he gets to see his kid and they get to, hang, you know, he gets to hug him and that sort of thing. But like, we don't know. He, you know, it, so there is, a, there is a bleakness to it, but it is definitely a slight, yeah. there's a slight, there's a tinge, there's a silver lining of hope on this just awful. <laughs> Not as bleak as yes. the book. Yeah. Uh, but I, I do think we need both of those endings in turn. Yeah. I can agree with that. So. I agree. Uh, my last note was burn the system down. <laughs> burn it down. Burn it all down. Justice system's fucked. It's all terrible. Burn it down. Yep. Yep. <laughs> burn it down. <laughs> uh, I mean, that was my opinion before this movie, so <laughs> not like the movie. Uh, but yeah, it's uh, this. This. It's uh, yeah. Poof. It's that... so such an incredibly timely. Yeah. Oh story. wow. Yeah. Yeah, and it's. I mean, it was only. It was 2018, um, and it. It even now. I mean, it's even yeah. more timely now. It feels like yeah. I, not. I mean, it was incredible. Well, and then, it'll be always be timely. Yeah, but. but then that's the thing too. Is isn't that just fucking sad and tragic that yeah. this was a timely story when it was written in the, in the 70s, and here we are in 2020, and it's still. It's it yeah. Just as timely. Just as timely. Yeah. Yeah, it's, yeah, yeah, you can hope. Hopefully one day it won't be timely. Yeah. You can hope, but it got a lot of work to do for that to be the case. All right, it's time. Final verdict. Now, uh, are you ready for your sentence? Sentence? But there must be a verdict first. Sentence first. Verdict afterward. So we say this a lot. But this is definitely another instance of both the book and the movie being well worth your time. And aside from the big change at the end that we just discussed and a few sensible cuts, Mm -hmm. this is a very faithful adaptation. 
But I think for me, this time, it's going to be the movie. Having the stunning visuals and the heart-wrenching score and the brilliant acting, I think elevated an already good story to a new place without changing what it is at its core. And again, the book, well, well worth your time. Beautifully written and short, only around 200 pages. I read most of it in a day. Yeah. I don't necessarily recommend doing that because it's not an easy read. Yeah. But it is beautiful and brutal. All right. The movie takes this one slice. But check out both. Uh, where were you? Where were you? Is it free? Is it like a or did you purchase? Or? No, I was able to the book we're rent. I was able to rent the ebook. There is gotcha. an ebook version, and I was able to rent it. I used the app Libby. Gotcha. To get books from my local library to get ebooks, so gotcha. I was able to rent it through that. Um, you could also buy the ebook anywhere you buy ebooks. Yep. There you go. All right. I, I assume it's also in publication. Yeah. You just yeah. yeah, you just wanted the ebook. Okay, cool. That's it for this episode. Before we go, we've got a few things to do. One, uh most important, if you could do us a huge favor, you can just uh go go to um iTunes and give us a five star rating and review if you enjoy our podcast. That's great. Uh you can also support us on Patreon if you want, but you don't have to. That's fine too. Donate to a charity instead. That's fine. Uh and also uh what was the other thing I was gonna say? <laughs> that we um... do. Uh, there was something else I can't remember doesn't matter Katie what's next up next our summer series continues with oh that's yeah new moon going back going back to twilight back to forks slightly different uh (laughs) slightly different uh mood only slightly (laughs) yeah uh yes uh I'm already like 150 pages into this one I've been reading it how is new moon treating you so far it's I was it's just now starting to get a little better. Um, I was I was optimistic because I knew that Edward wasn't in a lot of this one, but it's <laughs> not any better so far because she just talks about him constantly. So it's like he's there even when he's not, and it's so it's not really a whole lot better in that regard. But uh, things are starting to start. Things are starting to move. We're 150 pages in. Things are starting to uh, the the plots maybe starting to get going. I I I don't know. It's it's been okay. It's been fine. <laughs> oh, my sweet summer child. <laughs> I, I just, uh, I, it's been fine. Uh, I'm just waiting for some things to start going. I know that's the point to some extent of the books is to sort of revel in that, uh, in the young heartbreak and all that sort of stuff. I get it. Um, oh, it's just for me. It's, it's 2006 and we're reveling in for, our angst. For, yeah, for me, the the angst is a little tedious, but I get it. So we're, we're chugging through. <laughs> we're chugging <laughs> That's going to do it for this episode. Uh, until next time, guys, gals, non-binary, and everybody else. Keep reading books. Keep watching movies. And keep, keep being, being awesome. awesome.